0: This is the story of DMT, or dimethyltryptamine, a simple compound found throughout nature which has profound
1: effects on human consciousness.
0: DMT, the spirit molecule, you know, it's a conundrum, it's a paradox.
1: DMT is uh, astonishingly widely available plants and
2: animals all all around the world, but so far nobody really knows why it's there. Why is DMT in our bodies? Why is it in plants, in all sorts of mammals? What is the role it plays in humans? And that was one of the original findings uh, that led me to start looking for a spirit molecule, for a a compound in the brain that uh, elicited mystical experience. What does it mean? Why, why is there a part of the brain that seems to be, for lack of a better word, a, a God detector?
0: I'm actually quite, quite convinced that we're probing the biological basis of moral and ethical behavior. It's a
1: miraculous way for us to transcend ordinary reality and obtain maybe an intimation of what's necessary for survival. I
0: think DMT
2: is a forcible reminder that there's a lot more about reality, the universe, ourselves, biosphere, whatever. that we, uh, There's a lot more to it than we imagine. one of our you know, volunteers kind of uh, experienced a vision of the future, uh, you know, that humanity was living in hives, unlike bees.
0: Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Dr. Rick Strassman a little <clears throat> bit later, uh, but first, as always, the gallant Graham Dunlop. How's it going, buddy?
1: I, I, uh, I deserve what I have right now. You have a fucking cold. I told my girlfriend that I never get colds and that she shouldn't worry about me catching hers. And uh, boom, boom, shakalaka. Yeah. <laughs> Two days later, boom, I, gotta, I, like, I really don't get sick a lot, but like what an idiot, why did I even say that?
0: Yeah, I had the sniffles too. But uh, well, my uh, both my wife and kids were all sick for a while, but I I'd take that oregano oil and
1: uh, oh. I forgot about the oregano
0: oil. My Donasovian DNA helps me power through it.
1: Sweet. I got to get that I got the oregano oil there. I forgot about it. And the cigarettes help. Oh, the cigarettes help, eh? Yeah. I'm just on the Fisherman's Friends. There you go.
0: (laughs) While you're podcasting. (laughs) Yeah. That's a loud package.
1: Yeah, sorry, buddy.
0: Keep those out of the studio. All right. So, how you been?
1: Um, yeah, good. Do yeah, any crazy better.
0: excursions lately?
1: Like crazy excursions? Light any uh, hot
0: yoga studios on fire?
1: Uh, nope. Nope. It's all, it's all, uh, nope, nothing, nothing. Huh.
0: Too bad. I like the yoga stories the best, I think.
1: Yeah, well, I'm going to get back into it, so I'll, I'll make sure that I keep my ears and eyes open for strange stuff in there.
0: I not have to light any fires. <laughs> Did you see the eclipse?
1: I did. Yeah. Through right. uh, double shaded lenses. It was pretty cool. Double?
0: I just had yeah. this welding lens. Actually, here it is right here.
1: Yeah.
0: It was pretty neat, eh? Yeah.
1: It's pretty amazing how bright it is, even though it wasn't a full eclipse, right?
0: Yeah. Well, actually, I don't think there's even like a full eclipse in Calgary in our lifetime. There's one in 2017 that if you drive probably six hours south, that uh, you'll get a total eclipse. From I think, Montana? Like, yeah. I think like. Uh, Look, I want to say 30 miles or something like that, or 30, or it's not a big number. Maybe a few hundred miles the is the radius of who gets a total eclipse and who doesn't. Wow. But I think uh, I'm going to go camping. I'm going to take the camper down there and find some campground where it's good to go. And,
1: You're that into it, eh? Yeah. Wow.
0: bottle of champagne. It's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, huh?
1: Really? Is that a solar or a lunar?
0: Solar, total solar eclipse not one in calgary for the next hundred years i don't think
1: Total you don't think it'd be it worth the trip it reminded me of an 80s no. song
0: you don't think that's worth the trip you go to vancouver every other fucking weekend yeah, 12 no, hours but no, it's no, not worth a six hour drive yeah
1: trip. hey i do it i love driving down south it's beautiful to drive down there i've never driven yeah you can driven pass right stores. by the erratic train and keep going into montana on the flood path yeah catastrophic flood path.
0: Now it'd be good. I want the kids to see it too, right? <clears throat> you know, that might be something that they don't get a right, chance right. to, even in their lifetime without, you know, a lot of times they're down in South America or, you know, a lot of it in Africa or places that they don't happen super often. So yeah. A chance to see one. Yeah, it'd good get, idea. It's fucking dark out too. It'd be kind of creepy. Then just think of what they were thinking fucking 10,000 years ago when that happened. Yeah. I don't think you'd know it was the moon, right?
1: Uh, Yeah, you probably would How see would you it. No, you can't well, see it's... the
0: moon. It's a new moon.
1: Oh, is it? Yeah. Well, they'd know it was a new moon, though, because, you know, it was a full moon however many days ago. Now it's a new moon, and that's the moon from the sun. And all of a sudden, something's blocking out the sun. Yeah. Yeah, I think they knew. Wrath of God,
0: buddy. I think they knew. Wrath of God. Huh. What about my dog thinks?
1: He thinks it's nighttime. Know. The dog doesn't think. <laughs> Goes
0: to sleep Tyson, a loyal companion. <coughs> Fucking cat, on the other hand, pain in my ass. <coughs> Which isn't a surprise. I kind of knew that going
1: in. So what do you want first, uh, feedback or synchronicity?
0: Oh, uh, hmm. What about, uh, we could talk about the money bomb.
1: Okay, let's talk about the money bomb. Yes, oh, just
0: yes. in one night. I was hoping to track him down. Maybe we'll have him on next episode. I was kind of last minute. I fired him off an email. I know he's probably busy working or doing something, but we'll have him on. We'll try to have him on next week for uh for a quick thing. He won a, he's a subscriber and he had made an additional donation that month, but, um, he won, I think we took in 270 bucks or something like that. And, uh, he took home 130 or 135 and he has thrown it all back into the pot.
1: Yeah, what a guy. That's pretty crazy that uh he does the newsletter for us. Uh, just started that up and then the first uh, the next money bomb, which we haven't had one in a couple months, and uh I pick his name.
0: Yeah, and then he gives it all back. So now we've already got that hundred and twenty bucks in the pot for this year this month's money bomb. Um, uh, so I think we're already up to around, uh, we had another few donations the other day. I think we're already up to 150 bucks. So it looks like, uh, we'll be doing a draw at the end of the, I think this will be our first one month money yeah. bomb. Yeah. looks like we'll get to $200 and we'll be doing a draw. It'd be good to keep that, uh, going if we could be doing one once a month. So.
1: Yeah. What Darren's talking about, just in case people aren't sure what the 50, 50 money bomb is, it's like a 50, 50 draw where, uh, we're trying to just. Get uh, donations to help our expenses out in the show because all our content is free. So, uh, fifty fifty percent of that goes back to uh, one of your listeners, and you don't need to uh, put money in to enter. You can send a postcard in. All the instructions are on slash uh, forward slash MoneyBomb.
0: Yep, and of course you can get the newsletter grammarica.ca slash News, um, and of course Justin mentioned in the newsletter that he was doing uh, he donated all the money back in a push for a subscriber every day in November. So. Yeah, let's try and push the subscribers up this month and
1: uh And that yeah. five dollars will get you an email address, right? A gram American yeah. email address?
0: Yeah, that's right. Well supplies last.
1: Okay, can I uh can I read out the and uh, thank the people that uh donated towards uh, this month's money bomb?
0: Yeah, maybe go first names only.
1: Yeah, I got that. that's all okay. I got, So so yeah, we want to thank Justin, Jeff, Ch- David, Charity, Paul, Daniel, Joel, Pat, Todd, Nikki, Lane, Anthony, Mark. Howard Con, Gitmo, Neil, John, Yorgi, Wayne, and Debbie. So, wow, that's a that's a, quite the list. Is building. Thank you so much for helping us out.
0: Yeah, and uh, yeah, and a lot of that came in in October in the final hour. So it seems like it's getting some steam, and I think uh, you know the value for value is a future media. So
1: yeah, exactly, man. We don't, you know, we don't want to charge for any content. We don't want to have ads. <clears throat> no, no gimmicks here. We just want to keep keep going uh, as long as we can. And uh people are liking it,
0: yeah, as long as grab holds out, it's old bones,
1: me, okay, can I read you some amazing feedback? Um, you got something else lined up, sure, okay, so um, this feedback is absolutely humbling, and um, I don't know, I appreciate it so much it's This is kind of why we do it. And to have people actually acknowledge what we try and do here, which is really just have fun and let the guests chat, that's pretty cool. This is from Imperial, Imperialon. So this is for a great host and fun guest. There's a glut of middling and uninspired, quote-unquote, paranormal, for lack of a more universally recognized term, podcasts out there. But this is not one of them. The hosts originally caught me off guard with their seemingly... Goofy and casual attitudes, but soon won me over with their sincere passion, about and knowledge of the subjects at hand. For all their jokes and occasional swear word, they put out <clears throat> more great info and content. Trying to read this from my iPhone. Than their competition and conduct really effective interviews with their guests. They find their own niche by exploring topics like meditation and shamanic healing, in addition to the usual UFO slash cryptid slash etc content that everyone covers. Plus the frequent presence of red pill junkie is icing on the cake. I'll listen into any podcast with red pill junkie on it. So that's me too. Pretty amazing. eh?
0: Yeah. That's good feedback.
1: I got another one here too. Absolutely fabulous show. I had to warm up to it a bit, but I never miss an episode. One thing I keep hearing from the guests is how interesting the questions are. My only complaint would be the excessive F bomb use. From Darren, but it's not a deal what breaker. <laughs> <laughs> great audio, great production, and great guests, and phenomenal chemistry between friends. Thanks, guys. That was from. Lost it here. That was from uh, PodFreak three thousand. So, anyways, um, yeah, thanks so much for all the f- great feedback. It's it's really 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 helps.
0: Yeah, it' uh, pretty humbling, and of course, you can review the show at GrowAmerica.ca slash iTunes. Uh, which helps us uh move up whatever iTunes fucking scale or ladder It does, on. yeah. But uh the higher we get up that, the more listeners we get. The more listeners we get, the uh, the bigger our reach, so to speak. And uh
1: Yeah, and the more clo we have with, with really big names, right? With really a big guest, so not that I really want to have bigger name guests on. I mean, I like the way it's going, but
0: yeah, but it extends a family too. like, you know how there's, we've got a lot of different aspirations of things we could maybe do with the Grimerica down the road. And like even things like the newsletter and the blogging is shit that would not be happening if it weren't for listeners like you that have emailed and said they want to write or Justin stepping up to do the newsletter or Wayne Darnell stepping in to help us with the website and all that. I mean, that's all part of the, you know, Grimerica hegemony.
1: It's like a community platform.
0: Exactly. And the bigger we get that family, the more, you know, the more bloggers we'll get, you know, the just the better everything will get. So yeah. tell your friends about this show.
1: And we know it's how hard it is to, to cancel get, us. <laughs> and we know how hard it is to get friends to listen to podcasts that don't what's a podcast? But once they get hooked, uh, they'll be in. Right. So uh yeah. Do you uh can I tell you a mini cinco? All right, it's time for the profound UFO quote of the week. From their maneuvers and terrific speed, I am certain their flight performance was greater than any aircraft known today. That's from Colonel Carl Sanderson, U.S. Air Force, commenting on his sighting of two circular silver UFOs in close proximity to his plane over Hermanas, New Mexico the UFOs were said to make a series of seemingly impossible maneuvers before disappearing at an astonishing speed and showing up again over El Paso, Texas.
0: Swamp gas. That's it, buddy. and to the point. That's right. The jingle barely even got started. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, that makes up for the three you did last week.
1: Yeah, but those were like uh, one-liners. That's what she said. So um, I've got a mini synchronicity that I want to talk to you about. I don't even think I can call it a synchronicity, but I just want your thought. Oh of-
0: God, if you can't call it a synchronicity, <laughs> I can just imagine.
1: No, I seriously though, this is, this is what happened. So I was driving to work in the morning, right? And I saw this license plate number and I was like, I can already see a you roll your eyes. <laughs> just, just bear with me for a sec. Okay. And it was and it was uh, I don't want to say it because it was somebody's phone number, right, so it was the last four digits. I recognized the number, and I was like, "Oh, that's the last four digits of my buddy that I grew up with in this small town right near near Vancouver, and uh, it was his home number, right? So like this is like in the eighties, right? It's his home phone number. There was no sales back then.
0: didn't you guys just have like <clears throat> party lines back then?
1: uh yeah, we tried the party line thing. No, no, but no, like there the was party a party line where no, the whole really. community has no, the same really. phone number. No, or not really. No.
0: Different house answers the same phone. No, it the wasn't the phone. 60s, buddy. It was okay. the 80s.
1: So I was thinking about the last four digits of the number. I was thinking, what were the first three digits, right? So I thought... We of, tried that. <laughs> <laughs> the party line. Yeah. That was, that was before, like... Uh, You know those ads you get on TV with the the new? There was a party line back then too. I remember. You could meet people. You could just call this number and like chat with people. It's a chat line. Just to make new friends over the phone. The original chat room. Yeah, it was. Yeah, back in the eighties. Wow. And then there'd be all these goofs on there too, like trolls. There'd be trolls in the chat room back then. Trolls. (laughs) Trolls.
0: Trolling. 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 Well, so
1: let's get back to the synchronicity here. So okay. I'm thinking of what were the first three digits of that phone number, right? And I thought, oh, they were four six three So I'm then I just let it go, right? I'm driving to work, and maybe two blocks later, just driving down the road, listening to a podcast or whatever, i I looked down and I noticed this number on a license plate, like the first number I noticed. I wasn't looking for license plates or anything. I just glanced down and I noticed four six three on a license plate. So, that's, to me, like, why would I think 463? Because it was the first three digits of this guy's number back in the 80s, right? And then I realized that not only wasn't it 463, it was actually 467. So, I... I, (laughs) Stop laughing. (laughs) Continue. No, but so why would I think of the wrong number and then see the wrong number? Like, I was precog pre-cogging that number, which ended up being the wrong number.
0: If I would have thought, oh, 467. Because you had already seen the number out of the corner of your eye before, and it was just subconscious. No,
1: come on. Yeah. You would never be that hard on a guest that would tell you that story.
0: percent That was subconscious. That, no, he had he was way, it was plate? way up. That's it was because up. a guest would never feed me that shit. That's not a single. Come on. It's
1: in a pre-cog have you event. First, you, had the, you
0: had been looking forward. You seen that license plate. 463. You had that number in your head. 463.
1: Then I saw the last four digits, which happened to be uh well, related to the four six three, because four six three was the other number in that small town, right? You know, the other three digit prefix. I don't Nothing, even know. You Nothing. Know, you know, okay. I've got a similar one from <laughs> I've got a similar one from a guest. Let's see what you think of this. Okay.
0: Are you just adding guests to your on synchro now and pretending? Or is this That's an a good actual
1: idea. That's a good idea. I'm going to do that. I'm going to pretend. I'm going to write my own email in. Say I've got an email here. <laughs> and pretend it's a guest. That way I'll double my rating. We'll see. I was headed into work the other night as I pulled into the parking lot. The radio was jamming thunderstruck. So I popped my iPod in my pocket, grabbed my lunch, and headed in. After I punched the clock, relieved the second shift, and got my area scored away, I plugged my earbugs in, ready to listen to Grammarica. My iPod had been on a playlist for 13 songs, and the song it was playing, Thunderstruck. Same chorus as the radio. Go, Darren, go. Later.
0: Is he sure he wasn't listening to his iPod in the track?
1: <clears throat> yeah, it was the radio was jamming Thunderstruck. And when his iPod was in the meantime shuffling through the playlist, it, as soon as he put his earbuds in, ended up being uh, the same chorus, Thunderstruck. I mean, who would have thunderstruck on their iPod for one thing? But what's wrong, with thunderstruck? That's probably the worst ACDC <laughs> song ever. The only thing it's good for is like intro to a hockey game or something.
0: I don't know. <sighs> I think you know what, dude. I really think if it's a real one, I'd give it like maybe a seven point four two because it involves a show. What do you
1: mean if it's a real one? I don't. Understand I what think. You're I about. think he was. Oh, you don't think you think I it think, was a mistake? Yeah, no, I think I he was think zoned so. out. He no, was listening no.
0: to Thunderstruck on his iPod. And then it iPod. came back around again. Even then, no, he plugged no. it back in and it picked up right where it left off. Oh, <laughs> no, and he's give, like, "What?"
1: Him, anyways, that's from Nick. I got to give him more credit than that. I'm with you, Nick. I've got one that's very similar to in in uh, in Israel when I was working in the cotton fields on a kibbutz with the guy. <laughs> Uh, with the guy that I had that UFO sighting with, his name was Dave from England.
0: You guys were working the cotton fields together, yeah, in kibbutz,
1: yeah. I like so it. I've got my Walkman, like the '80s Walkman, on right, and I'm listening to something, okay. And I'm listening to the police, right? And I'm listening to uh, that song, uh, "Giant Steps" or "What You Take," "Walking on the Moon." The, this the song "Walking on the Moon," right? i don't know if and heard it. And I'm walking like with these big footsteps, and I'm listening to the Walkman. And as you're I'm doing walking, big
0: footsteps on purpose
1: because it's like a walking on the moon song, right?
0: Like and a regular Dave, size footprint for someone else,
1: yeah, exactly. And Dave says out loud, walking. No, what do you say? See, I've lost. So you're making says, uh, so Dave says out loud, giant steps on what you take walking on the moon, and it was exact same. When he said it, it was the exact same time that the course that the
0: how far song, away was he?
1: <clears throat> like five feet away.
0: With your shitty eighties fucking they, they were in the ear, headphones, in the ear,
1: head bone, head, head, uh, headphones, oh, Yeah,
0: those shitty ones you could hear you from a while. I remember no, they're the Sony
1: Sport ones. Like to no, go inside. No, he shit. didn't hear. The f- I
0: remember like being beside people on the school bus, and they had their <laughs> in the ear headphones, and I could hear everything. I couldn't even hear myself think because all I could hear is their music.
1: Now, we're in the middle of the cotton fields. It wasn't like a quiet school bus or whatever the cotton like,
0: field seems a lot quieter than a school bus.
1: okay, let's just assume that he couldn't hear it because I don't think he did, and he didn't know I was playing the police, so I put the thing on his Here ears I ran over and I ran, over and I, no, no, I, I ran no. over and I put the things on his ears, I'm like, listen, it's the exact same song that you're singing, and all I did was walk with big steps. no, he heard it oh, you think 100%. He just, what if he didn't hear it and I'd give you a You can't assume that these synchronicities are full of mistakes. Yes, I can. That's
0: my job. Yeah, I'm trying to find a rational response to your allegations.
1: Okay. Whatever. Was it Nick? Yeah.
0: Nick might have been. Don't know. But maybe not. If not, I'll give him a 7.4. And my guy might have heard. Your guy heard it. sure. 80s headphones. Let's call him. Can we call him?
1: I wish. That's the guy I'm trying to get a hold of to talk about my UFO sighting. But, you know, you won't let me use your fake Facebook account to do that. I
0: messaged him. He didn't respond.
1: That wasn't Dave. I can't find Dave on Facebook.
0: So I just messaged some random fucking guy? No, somebody else. He never responded anyways. I know. Well, we'll see. When we track down Dave, we'll revisit this.
1: <laughs> I don't think and Dave will like, remember.
0: Dave's like, yeah, I heard you, bro. I was just fucking yeah. with you.
1: We tried to tell the the guy who was running the cotton fields about our UFO saying, and he looked at us like we were crazy. He's like super religious, this Israeli guy. This old Israeli guy, super religious. And he's just like, there's no such thing as UFOs." well.
0: Was he like, but he's a cotton field? I don't know. Maybe I've. Oh, he maybe ran I've the negative. kibbutz, the
1: farm and all that, like. We were running the tractors and pulling up the irrigation equipment and stuff like that, right? You'd, it's like a self-sufficient farming community, right? Okay. You, you work there to basically stall your travels, right? You, live to wor- you work to live there, right?
0: Like a commune. Kind of. Israeli cotton-picking commune. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, it was right in between Syria and Lebanon and the Golan Heights. So it's, it's crazy now that now there's so much trouble going on there you can't make this shit up. I remember being on the mountain there, and these guys that were in the army, right? But they were kind of like dressed as civilians or whatever. But they would jump off on their gliders or hand gliders off the mountain, fly up the air thermal, over the mountain into Syria. Just for shits and gigs? Like to spy training or whatever. Oh. I think. Something like that. But, yeah, on their hand gliders, fly up and over the mountain, over the air, on the air thermals.
0: Oh, so it's an air thermal.
1: It's uh, rising of hot air, right? So you can like when I went on a the glider there, they let you off at like a thousand feet, and then you ride the thermal up to like five thousand feet.
0: Then you fucking fall like a stone.
1: No, then you just get off the thermal and glide down.
0: I want to find a thermal around here.
1: Yeah, we have Chinook, so maybe there's air thermals. Yeah,
0: would have to be, wouldn't there? Maybe more so in the summer, because I think that's why it's so fucking windy here, right? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Air replacing, it's because air rushes in to replace that hot air that's r- risen.
1: When I was in Whistler golfing uh, in the summer, I noticed how still I was in Pemberton, and I was in a valley there, and now it was still, and I was like, I felt the stillness in the, oh, in the air. Oh, air." it's Alberta all well, the time. It's always like kind of windy here. Anyways, what are we gibbering and jabbering on about?
0: I don't know, I think what we did the money bomb, we did the newsletter. YouTube. We got a lot of good feedback on YouTube lately. I'm not going to pull it up now, but maybe you could compile that next time. Um, I think there's some new countries to welcome the hegemony. I don't have any of that shit together either. So I think that's about it.
1: Right on, man. Well, yeah, I think that's about it. We've got uh, Rick Strassman coming up. We've been wanting to get Rick on for a while, and and uh, we're talking about his new book, uh, Soul, Soul of Prophecy. DMT and the Soul of Prophecy. I'm asking you.
0: You're asking me. Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So it's a great track chat with uh, with Rick. Uh, It's gonna be interesting to see where all that research goes.
0: Yeah. Big thanks to our friends over at Inner Traditions for setting it up for us, and uh, enjoy the chat with Rick Strassman. Guys, in Grab America tonight, we're going to be talking with uh, Dr. Rick Strassman. But uh, first, as always, long time uh, since we've been in the Iglo, buddy. How's it going, Grab?
1: Hey, it's doing. I'm doing okay. <laughs> it's doing. I don't know. I had a bit of a funny day today, but we're back. Finally, got everything set set up since our trip to the paradigm, and uh, we are really happy to come back uh, right away with a chat uh, with Rick Strassman, MD. And Rick uh, performed trials on humans uh, on D DMT in the mid-90s, and that led to a book called DMT, The Spirit Molecule, fantastic, and then a documentary that has done really well, as, uh, too. And he's now, uh, he's now released another book as he's been exploring the Hebrew Bible and some of the correlations to DMT, and it's called DMT and the Soul of Prophecy, and it's a new science of spiritual revelation in the Hebrew Bible. So uh, we are super happy to have you here, Rick, and uh, welcome to Great America.
2: Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be
1: here. Yeah, most of our listeners will be familiar with your work. I mean, we've talked to you about you quite a bit and, uh, you know, your movie. And, and it's been, you know, in the last few years, I've, I've met so many people that have gone down to uh, South America to try ayahuasca. And it seems like, you know, obviously your movie and your research played a big part in this kind of exodus of people uh, trying out uh, psychedelics for their own personal spiritual experiences.
2: Yeah, and that's a mixed blessing. Uh you know, I never really <laughs> encourage anyone to take drugs, but uh it's important to get education out there. So the more you know about certain things including psychedelics, uh the better informed you are uh, if you do decide to partake.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um th- I don't want to spend too much time on on the past research long, but I guess for people that that are listening and and haven't really heard uh the details of of your trials a Maybe you could just give us a quick summary of, of uh, what, what that was like in the mid-90s.
2: Uh, sure. Um, so I started off uh, with an interest in the biology of spiritual experience, and that uh, came about from noticing the similarities in descriptions between people who had taken psychedelic drugs and those who were practicing certain kinds of meditation. Uh-huh. um I was in college on the west coast <clears throat> in the late sixties early seventies and it was during that time that there uh, was a lot of interest and a lot of um experimentation with both the psychedelics and um meditation and uh it you know seemed to me that a lot of the descriptions um shared features um and i thought that <clears throat> um, to the extent that the two you know, sets of experiences resembled each other, that um, that there might be some common biological um, underlying uh, you know mechanisms uh, uh, you know mediating them both. Um, so I started to think about the brain or the body uh, you know making a compound uh, with psychedelic properties. Um, and it would either be, um, or, or well, or um, well, so uh, so the parts of the brain responsible, you know, for the visions and the voices would be activated by that drug,
1: right, right. Or
2: if the body made it, it's yeah. You know, or if uh, the body made it itself, um, as a result of certain spiritual practices, you know, the same receptors would be activated in the brain, um, you know, because the body. Was releasing that chemical on its own, right? Right. Um, and I started off, yeah. So I began with a study of melatonin from the pineal gland because of you know, the longstanding interest in esoteric you know, systems uh, in the pineal. Um, and in the mid 1980s, there wasn't that much known about melatonin, uh, and you know some of the older studies of the compound um kind of hinted at it, you know, possessing psychedelic properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I studied melatonin in, in the mid and late 1980s, but it didn't, uh, you know, turn out to be especially uh, mind-altering. Um, and in the meantime, I had been learning about DMT, uh, and I decided uh, to see if I could get a DMT study off the ground. Um, and uh, it was the first new study in humans using any psychedelic, you know, drug, in the U.S. in over 20 years. And so, I started all the paperwork in 1988, and finally received permission and the drug um, in 1990. Um, and my study uh, was basically a you know, fairly um, straightforward psychopharmacology study. Um, we gave a number of different doses of the drug to uh, a number of uh, experienced psychedelic-using human volunteers, and characterized the responses as carefully as we could, both biological and psychological. Oh, um, I should mention—you uh, know—I was specifically interested in in, in the compound DMT uh, because it is a naturally occurring substance, uh, um, which is made in the human body, and it's also known to be quite psychedelic. And, Do we know uh, where yet? You know, because melatonin didn't... Yeah, it's actually been known for a long time, for decades, even for almost 50 years, um, that it's made in the lungs. It was first uh, you know, discovered in the rabbit lung, and then a few years later was discovered in uh, the human lung. And so that's been known since the late 1950s or so.
1: Do we know that it it comes from the pineal gland um, as well?
2: I, well, you know, I speculated to a, a large extent in the original DMT book about a possible pineal source of DMT. Yeah, and um, a and a, and a lot of people took that as, a, you know, given objective truth. Um, you know, but it was. Uh, um, uh, I mean, more uh, speculation, you know, theoretical, up until right. last year, yeah, yeah. And then last year, a group in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, discovered, you know, DMT in the pineal gland of living rodents. You know, so you know, finally, I could say yes, <laughs> you know, there is, you know, you know, DMT in, um, you know, possess or you know, contained in uh, the mammalian pineal gland.
1: That's interesting. I I want to go back there. Um, after you finish your summary, there I want to go back to the pineal gland a little bit. It's pretty interesting.
2: Yeah. Uh. Well. Uh, you know. So. Uh, you know. So. Um. After I completed the melatonin study, its you know psychological you know properties, um, were fairly mild. And in the meantime, I had you know learned about DMT. It's you know made in the body and it's quite psychedelic. Uh, and uh, so I, you know, began a study giving a number of doses of DMT, uh, you know, to people, uh, you know, to characterize its, uh, you know, properties um, as carefully as I could. And uh, it's you know the stories and the accounts of the you know drug sessions, um, which comprise the majority of the original DMT book and the DMT documentary.
1: And we can get into some of those stories when we talk about your new book, and because you kind of use some of those uh, as comparisons to your research into the Hebrew Bible and stuff, right? Yes. So let me ask about the Pineal Glide, because it, I find it interesting that, um, I think it was the Buddhist or somebody um, thought that the soul enters the body, at the forty-nine day marker, some day where it actually is uh, the same day that the pineal gland is supposedly created in the body. Seems like a coincidence.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, I yes, yes, it it is quite interesting. Um, in the Buddhist tradition, yeah, it's you know taught that the soul enters the body at um at forty-nine days, um. Yeah, and the first appearance of the pineal gland in the human fetus is also at around 49 days. And interestingly enough, the first, uh, you know, clear distinction between male and you know female gonads in 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 uh, the fetus also occurs at around 49 days. Uh, you know, so uh, one can 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 speculate about um, you know the conflict or the confluence or the interdependence of spirituality and you know sexuality um and you know, and of the pineal gland and you know the entrance of the soul perhaps occurs um you know through that organ but still you know it's still you know rather speculative but it isn't impossible you know to start to um investigate you know some aspects of those theories you know like for example um you could start or um you could look at, uh, you know, the developing fetus and you know find out, you know, when DMT first appears. Huh.
0: And yeah. how, and so they both come at 49 days? Like, how fucking crazy is that? Like, how big of a coincidence can that be?
2: Yeah, it's a striking coincidence. Yeah, I was pretty blown away when, you know, those f- three, you know, time points all, you know, seemed to line up, uh, you know, quite precisely.
1: Huh. so So back to your... Your, uh, study there, your, your expectations were kind of like, you're just going to study this, uh, you know, the effects of DMT, cause it's sort of seemed like psychedelic, there was correlations between psychedelics and, uh, spiritual, um, experiences. And then you were kind of surprised, right. From your results.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, even though my studies were pretty straightforward psychopharmacology, um, you know, we measured a lot of endocrine. Uh, responses, growth hormone, prolactin, mm-hmm. those kinds of things, you know, cardiovascular responses. Uh, but, you know, the most interesting aspects, you, you know, um, were the subjective effects. Um, and so I was uh, expecting the peak uh, response or uh, uh, the peak effect, um, you know, coming from a high dose of DMT to be comparable to the Buddhist enlightenment experience. Right. Um, in other words, it, it would be, um it it would be formless. There'd be no content. there wouldn't be any interactions. It would be the end of the ego. Um, there wouldn't be any words. Um it would you know be complete emptiness, and you know one would merge with that emptiness. Uh-huh. Uh, you know but instead, um, you know the volunteers you know found themselves in a you know, very busy world of light um that was quite crowded, quite active. um and uh, in the majority of cases the uh the volunteers encountered these uh you know beings uh you know for lack of a better word uh, these entities which um you know took all kinds of you know- sh- uh which um, took all kinds of you know shape and form um you know but they were intelligent you know sentient um they emotion it, it was extremely interactive. The volunteers could ask them questions. Huh. Uh, you know, the beings would ask them questions. It was, you know, quite the give and take.
0: And it seems to be quite a striking similarity. Or were the reports all over the place? Um, could, they, could did they ever kind of meet the well, same people? Meet the same entity?
2: Um, you know. It was quite consistent across the volunteers, Uh, you know, the experience itself. We gave the drug intravenously, and the effects would begin within a heartbeat or two. And people would experience an intense rush, you know, physical and emotional rush. And uh, then they would burst into this world of light with just their consciousness. Uh, It was, um, you know, fairly uniform uh, that people described a, a... um, a separation of their, of of uh, their of their consciousness, um, uh, you know, from their bodies, um, and you know the specific, um, uh, you know, the specific you know configuration of you know the beings you know, would vary, uh, you know, sometimes reptiles, insects, big plants, androids, humanoids, humans. Um, those kinds of things, but, you know, by and large, uh, you know, they were discreet, you could see them, um, um, the quality of, of, of the beings was quite consistent in as much as they were, uh, you know, they were intelligent, you know, they possessed, uh, intent and will, um, you know, but the specific shapes would vary, um, you know, within the same person from trip, trip trip sometimes. And, uh, across the volunteers as a
1: group yeah I, th- I expected to see or read more accounts about the gray the typical gray alien because i af- you know before when i heard about uh, people taking ayahuasca and go on those journeys i heard there was correlations between their experiences you know in the jungle with uh abduction traditional sort of abduction experiences with the grays but i don't think i read a lot of uh accounts about those specific entities in, in from your trials
2: no, no, you know, I was quite surprised that the volunteers were reporting all of these contact experiences and, you know, they were, you know, uh, extremely surprised. They were even, you know, more surprised than I was, I, I, you know, because we were both, um, we uh, um, we both were expecting, uh, you know, um, experiences, you know, more consistent with the Buddhist enlightenment kind of effect uh, um, you know, so they were quite startled at the frequency of these encounters, and and you know certainly I was. Yes, uh, and you know, in uh, in uh, terms of uh, you know the typical you know bug-eyed, uh, three foot high, uh, you know gray creature, I don't think any of the volunteers describe meeting up with any of those.
1: Hmm. That's
0: interesting. Have you had any experiences of your own?
2: Oh, you know. Well, you know that's a question I'm asked all the time, and I've got a you know a kind of a a uh, stock answer to that. And you know that uh, stock answer is if I say yes, then people will accuse me of being a zealot, and Uh if I say no, people will accuse me of not knowing what I'm talking Uh, about. So that's true. (laughs) Uh, That's my answer.
1: Uh, Okay. Yeah, we could we can accept that. Easier your imagination. It, oh. And you know,
2: it, it isn't that and you know when it comes down to it it isn't all that important. You know, like I'm you know describing my volunteers experiences and you know other people's experiences and you know yeah. that's what I'm doing.
0: Right, right. How has that uh, like you've been doing it for you've done so many trials. How is it has it had any effect on your general outlook on life?
2: Yeah, you know, it's been almost 20 years, you know, since I stopped these studies. Um, I, I performed them between 1990 and 1995. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was exhausting after a while, you know, to give these large doses of DMT to all of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I just didn't really understand where people were going and, you know, how to interpret their experiences and, you know, how to help them integrate uh, their experiences. Um into their everyday lives, and so after a while, uh, you know that started to you know bear down on me. Um, I felt a bit irresponsible, uh, you know, giving people these kinds of experiences, you know, without a you know very good model uh, to understand them and help them integrate them. Um, you know, in in uh, the beginning of my study, I approached how strikingly you know real people describe. Their encounters. Uh, I uh, approached their stories with a little bit of skepticism, you know, because all of the models that I had brought to bear on my research proposed the basic unreality of the DMT world is either your brain on drugs, or it was a you know visual uh, you know representation of uh, um, psychological you know conflict or drives, or even with the Buddhist model, it was still considered unreal. Um, and, you know, the only real thing was the enlightenment experience. Uh, you know, so after a few months of, you know, being slightly skeptical, um, it, it was, you know, turning out that the volunteers weren't quite as comfortable, uh, you know, sharing all of their experiences, you know, with me if I was going you know, to be responding to them, even in so, you know, subtle a manner, as, you know, in terms of, you know, kind of treating the experiences as unreal. And, you know, so I quickly decided to perform a, you know, thought experiment and, you know, consider their encounters as real. And, you know, so that, you know, made things easier. And I was thinking I would just be able to come up with, you know, some, you know, model which could contain, you know, that idea, you know, once I completed my studies.
1: And, and you know, so
2: I suppose, you know, one thing, well, well, so one thing, I suppose, which, uh, you know, began to change, you know, my worldview, uh, you know, fairly early on in the course of performing the study was my appreciation of, you know, the external Objective, ongoing nature of these parallel, you know, levels of reality.
1: Huh And the the thing that blows me away is that these people would f- think of their experience as more real than than our current reality, which is you know, that's pretty mind blowing.
2: Yeah, you know, people um, were quite capable and quite you know clear about distinguishing you know between the DMT effect and Either dreams or you know hallucinations or even the um or or even their responses to previous use of other psychedelic drugs uh you know it, it yeah yeah, so they you know describe the encounters you know the effects i um, as you know being i uh, um, as real as everyday you know reality or even more real you know so to you know kind of uh interact with the volunteers. You know, with a mindset of, oh, that's just your brain on drugs or, no, that's not quite the real thing. What the real thing is, you know, the formless enlightenment state. I was getting, you know, nowhere fast with that uh, approach.
0: Hmm.
1: And then and then uh, you started researching your, your current book, your new release there, DMT and a Soul of Prophecy. That's been going, your research was going on for quite a while there, right? And then can you talk a little bit about the genesis of that book?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, um, I stopped my studies in 1995, and uh, I um, and I took off about a year to just kind of relax. Um, I moved to Canada, actually. Um, I lived in Victoria for about four years. Uh, um, I was married to a Canadian at the time, and you know we were thinking that would be a you know good time to go up to Canada to take a break. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I you know began you know working on the book, the DMT book. Um, and started to you know I, I started to you know sift through you know various models, um, which could contain uh, uh, you know the idea that the brain uh, you know was being as it were you know reconfigured as a result of you know of re- uh, as a result of you know, of these quite high concentrations of you know DMT occurring. Uh, you know, so I explored the ideas of dark matter and parallel universes, you know, those kinds of, uh, you know, new, uh, 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 you know, scientific models. Mm-hmm. And even though they were good or, you know, possibly good with respect to understanding the mechanisms, they still really didn't address, you know, why, you know, things, uh, you know, were configured that way in uh, the first place. You know, I'm like, why did DMT do that? Um and it also didn't uh, and and it also uh y- well um what so what uh, so those uh, uh you know purely scientific models also uh, um you know didn't uh, address uh, the value of those states you know what are they good for um i suppose you could learn you know how to make a new you know rocket engine you know but uh you know, if you ask you know one of the beings, you know how to do that, but 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 still, it it would only be you know more of the same. Uh, you wouldn't actually, you know, be any more compassionate or any wiser, uh, any more generous or you know charitable as a result of entering into those states. Um, you know, so I started to think about well, the religious you know traditions over the millennia have concerned themselves with you know mostly invisible worlds. But at the same time they've you know worked hard to extract you know meaning and integrating that meaning into their personal lives and and the larger you know you know social milieu you know so I had been you know looking at you know Buddhism for quite a long time you know um you know but the problem with you know Buddhism is you know the goal you know was formless and and you know the DMT experience was interactive, and also you know Buddhism posited the basic unreality of the states, and you know so by and by um I you know began to look at the Hebrew Bible in you know maybe nineteen ninety you know um, and uh, you know the and you know the notion of the prophetic state of consciousness you know began dawning on me, and uh, you know that was the beginning of this current book project.
1: So, can you define what you mean by prophetic in this? Because I know that when I when I read your book, actually, I, actually, I listened to your book uh, using this uh, computerized app. I had your PDF, so it was pretty interesting. But um, I it had I had to redefine my view of the word prophetic or prophecy. Um, so I think, you, could you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Well, yes. Um, well, the common.
2: Uh, you know, definition of, of a prophecy is, you know, foretelling or predicting. Right. Um, and, and, you know, so that is an interesting uh, story there. It's on um, the Greek, you know, translation of, you know, the Hebrew word for prophet. Um, uh, the, well, the most common uh, expression in the Hebrew Bible, you know, for the person of uh, the prophet is a word, navi. And uh, and a navi means to interpret, or to speak, or to communicate. You know, to be like a you know verbal intermediary. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but the Greeks, uh, who you know were the first to uh, 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 you know to um uh, uh um to translate the Hebrew Bible in into another language, um, they translated the word navi prophetis, um which means you know to divine or to foretell or to predict the future and you know that's because of you know the greeks were interested in foretelling as as a you know major function of the spiritual experience
1: mm, okay
2: uh, you know so in in uh, in uh, the original hebrew uh, you know the word uh, you know for prophet or um more for prophecy you know doesn't actually concern predicting or foretelling um you know so um well, so my definition uh, is a is a broader one. Uh, I define uh, you know the prophetic state as any spiritual experience described in any figure in the Hebrew Bible uh, you know so that could include anyone it, you know it it can include the canonical uh, you know figures like you know, like Moses and Daniel and Ezekiel, mm-hmm. you know, but it could also include anybody else um, who speaks to God or speaks to God's angels, you know, is inspired, you know, by the Holy Spirit, um, you, you know, has a, a, you know, predictive dream, um, you know, so it encompasses a lot, you know, larger, you know, range of spiritual experience.
1: Do you, you also talk about false prophets in your book. How do, how do you tell, like, how do you define a false prophet then?
2: Yeah, well, you know, that's a really tough question. And, you know, the scholars and the commentators over the last, you know, 2,000 years, even, you know, the true prophets, like, you know, for example, uh, 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 you know, Jeremiah um, spends a, um, he uh, spends a lot of time, you know, kind of, uh, you know, criticizing the false prophets. You know but interestingly enough, oftentimes there isn't any distinction in in uh, the Hebrew in, for example, the Book of Jeremiah, you know uh, you know between a a true prophet and a false prophet. Ah uh, you know, well, there's some you know general guidelines. I mean, false prophets encourage you know people to do bad things, you know, like to uh, you know sacrifice to idols, uh, to steal, to be drunk all the time those kinds of things. Also, you know, um, they claim their inspiration from idols, um, as opposed to, uh, claiming inspiration, uh, you know, from the God of the Hebrews, you know, so to speak. Um, and you know, their characters, you know, could be defective, you know, they could be, you know, thieves or murderers or, uh, unscrupulous, you know, characters, but, you know, but, uh, you know, but still, uh, it isn't you know really possible uh to make a you super clean distinction you know because a number of the some, uh, you know true uh, prophets you know did some you know well some questionable things you know well like Noah got drunk uh you know for example, and you Noah know, was a great prophet um and you know Moses had a bad temper uh and you know Moses uh was a great prophet uh you know some of the you know, the patriarchs, you know, like Abraham and Isaac, uh, you know, they lied, uh, you know, for good reasons, you know, um, you know, so to speak, but, uh, still they weren't completely truthful all of the time. Uh, you know, so you have a, you know, true prophet doing sketchy things. And, you know, sometimes, you know, a, uh, you know, false prophet can, um, you know,
1: can prophesy accurately,
2: you know, so it isn't, uh, you know, clear cut distinction.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's That's a good answer. So, so you found some correlations between the spiritual experiences of these people in the Hebrew Bible and uh, people using DMT. Is that, that's the premise.
2: Right? Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Well, as I started reading the Bible, a couple of things struck me, you know, one was uh, how, Closely descriptions of the two states resembled each other, you know, the visions were similar, uh, you know, the voices were similar, um, you know, the emotional responses, you know, the physical sensations, Hmm. um, you know, all those things, you know, you know, they demonstrated a huge amount of overlap. And another interesting aspect uh, of the prophetic state as described in the Bible is, is considered as real or more real than everyday reality. You know, so that was an appealing, you know, feature as well. And you know, the well, and you know, the most appealing feature, you know, was the whole issue of the prophetic message. You know, what is the content of the spiritual experience, especially the interactive, you know, the interactive relational kind of spiritual experience? And you know, with respect, you know, to comparing, you know, the phenomenology of the DMT and prophetic states you know they were quite similar you know but when you started you know to uh you know uh, um but when you started you know to compare the message content of the prophetic experience and uh, the DMT experience um it was clear that the you know, prophetic state was uh um was quite a lot richer uh, you know um you know for example you know the content of the bible which is essentially you know prophetic text um it's exerted you know thousands of years of influence on all aspects of western civilization it's law you know theology um economy um you know economics uh relationships philosophy theology uh relationships art architecture um yeah you know all those things you know diet agriculture uh and you know if you look at you know the Psychedelic experience—it still hasn't quite, you know, made that kind of impact. Uh, you know, so uh, you know, one of, uh, uh, you know, well, well, so one of you know the ideas that started dawning on me is, you know, perhaps, um, uh, the Bible, you know, to the extent you know that the prophetic state and the psychedelic state resemble each other, uh, you know, could be considered the key uh, or an or uh, an interpretive guide to the psychedelic experience. Um, in other words, if you you know learned about what goes on in the Hebrew Bible in terms of its description of angels and of God, uh, you you know might be able to extract more information from the experience itself. Uh, you know, if if um you knew how, or if you knew what kind of angel slash you know being you were encountering, uh, you might be able to ask it the proper questions, be able to understand the answers Uh, you know it was interesting in our DMT study uh, you know there was a problem of communication between the volunteers and the beings either you know the volunteers were uh, you know too anxious you know to understand what the beings were saying or you know there was a language barrier um, or it all went by too quickly or the volunteers were so stunned they couldn't get their bearings Uh, you know so if you went into those states with a lot more preparation if you understood ideas about God, you know what aspects of you know God you might you know be beholding in a psychedelic state, uh, you'd be equipped with a lot more tools, vocabulary, images, concepts, interactive tools, um, you know to perhaps you know gain a lot more you know content-wise, uh, you know um, information-wise, uh, you know than has been the case up
1: until now. Mm, that's interesting. I like how you said that psychedelics still haven't um, made that. That impact on us, so maybe there's still, still time for psychedelics to have that impact. Um. So hey, you've. Uh, yeah, you know. Go ahead. Yeah, well, well,
2: yeah, well. If you you know consider, uh, you know, the Western psychedelic experience, it isn't especially old. You know, like LSD was discovered in uh, the late you know 1940s, uh, and we still don't you know really have a good, uh, you know. Sp- spiritual context anyway uh, you know for uh, yeah, yeah i well you know for taking um the, uh, uh, well the psychedelics um you know up until now you know the predominant spiritual models are either uh, uh, well are, are are either these are are either these turn religious you know models especially that of buddhism yeah um or you know the latin american shamanic models yeah you know but neither of you know but neither of you know those models are ideal and you know and we have this a um spiritual guidebook you know which has been influencing our you know civilization you know for so long and it's and if you look you know carefully at it it is quite psychedelic so um it you know could be you know uh a a uh infusion of, you know, the psychedelic experience with, you know, more of a biblical, um, you know, sensibility, um, you know, could be just the answer.
1: Yeah. I wish I would have had my psychedelic experiences with more spiritual reverence and like, it's probably been, uh, a decade since I've tried any psychedelics, but it was, (laughs) I, you know, I mean, I, I don't think I had the proper spiritual development or reverence for what I was doing. Yeah, it's uh, so I can see what you mean. You know, you might if you're more prepared for it, you might have more of a profound uh experience.
2: Yeah, you know, if you if you think about you know the expression and, and, and if you if you're about the yeah and the, uh, I'm in theogen. Yeah, uh, you know it you know bespeaks a, a you know spiritual you know quality to these drugs. You know, but if you go to any of these events, like you know, that extend over the weekend or even yeah. Burning Man, yeah. Yeah. you know, they're kind of hedonistic. I wouldn't call them especially, you know, reverent or pious or yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. spiritual. They're fun. You have, you know, it's it's a great experience. There's lots of colors and emotions and sex, and you can dance and sing and things like that. You know, uh, but it's you know more, I think, an expression of the you know fact that these drugs are you know psychedelic um you know their mind manifesting uh you kind of you know have the experience you know that you bring to it or you know if you have certain expectations and you take them in a specific kind of you know setting to yeah, yeah. En- encourage a, a specific kind of experience then you'll have it yeah. uh you know uh, and up until now you know there haven't really been you know good models you know for anybody who's interested In extracting spiritual
1: information from these states. Right, right. Speaking of that, I, you know, you hear people, there's a lot of ideas uh, getting thrown out there now if, that psychedelics could have been somewhat responsible for our, our evolution as human beings or, um, you know, that, that the mushroom and psilocybin goes way back, uh, you know, thousands of years to people experiencing that. So when you looked at, at your research on the Hebrew Bible, are those people in there having these experiences that are very similar to our current day DMT experiences, are they just really spiritually developed and they're having these uh, naturally? Or do you think there's psychedelics involved back then?
2: Yeah. You know, there is speculation on about individuals in the Bible, you know, taking, you know, specific substances like marijuana Or you know perhaps there was an ergot-like compound like LSD in the manna, or you know the burning bush you know could have you know been emitting DMT fumes, you know and it's extremely difficult you know to determine any kind of mind-altering you know substance if you read the text you know carefully especially in Hebrew, you know the only well you know the only you know mind-altering uh you know, substances uh, explicitly referred to in in uh in uh the Bible are either wine or liquor. Uh you know, that's pretty much it. Um, and uh you know one is discouraged you know from performing uh the you know priestly service if you're drunk or intoxicated as well. Uh, you know, so the evidence, you know, for any kind of you know mind altering substance isn't really there. And if you consider, you know, you know, naturally occurring, you know, DMT in the human body, you wouldn't, you know, have to, you know, look, you know, for any outside agents. At the same time, you know, how did this DMT increase? If, 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 you know, that, you know, was the case, you know, I do speculate in my new book that elevated levels of DMT were mediating, you know, the visions. But at the same time, you know, how did that elevated DMT come about? Um, and you know, I mean, you'll come across the occasional reference to a spiritual exercise, you know, like fasting or meditating, uh, you know, sensory, you know, deprivation, you know, those kinds of things. But in the vast majority of you know cases, you know, the word of God just comes to the prophet. Um, and uh, you know, I think. You, yeah yeah you know, well you know so that leads you know to the uh, you know to the well uh, you know to the new model that I propose in my new book uh you know the uh, you know contemporary way of understanding the relationship between the brain and spiritual experience is you know that the brain uh responds to a certain number of stimuli with a reflex uh and you know that uh, specific reflex. Is you know called a spiritual experience, mm. um, and in other words, uh, you know the brain, you know the brain is you know generating that experience in response to specific uh, st- uh, stimuli like you know prayer or even drugs. <clears throat> uh, you know, so the brain is you know kind of you know generating the impression of of you know communication with god and in you know my model uh well well you well so that model is called you know neurotheology right. and it you know could be described as it could be described as a bottom up kind of model um and you know as a result of uh, you know the world view of the hebrew bible uh, which states that god is communicating with people um, as opposed to the brain, you know, creating that impression, um, I've come up with a new model, which I refer to as, you know, theoneurology, um, and, you know, that's a top-down model. Um, in other words, you know, uh, God uses the brain as the agent of communication, and, you know, DMT could play a role in, you know, the mechanism.
1: That's interesting. I was thinking about… It's a bit…
2: Go ahead. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's a bit crazy. But you know, still, it's as good as you know neurotheology. You know, because you know, why not? You know, why is the brain configured that way? You know, to have spiritual experiences, and and you can answer, and you can answer that question. You know, with you know saying, well, it's in order. You know, for God, it is in order for God to communicate. You know, with us.
1: Hmm, that's interesting.
0: We've just discovered a way to exploit it. And what's that? Well, yeah, so then that would be like using substances like DMT, psilocybin, like that would be kind of exploiting God's gift to speak to us? Or is that the key?
2: Well, you know, clearly everybody... Yeah, you know clearly, you know there's a lot of people out there who take you know drugs and and you know don't you know come back with any kind of you know prophetic information, you know. So if you know if you're you know if you're going to be you know taking in these you know drugs from the outside, all you're really doing is stimulating a certain you know part of the mind slash brain, and it's what is you know called by the you know, medieval philosophers in you know, the imagination it's you know the area of um uh, of the mind uh, you know where contents appear unlike the visions and the voices and you know the emotions you know but if you have an active imagination that's only um you know one of the qualifiers to attain the prophetic state you know for example if you're completely unimaginative if you can't you know, visualize anything um you know, you aren't uh, what is called qualified to receive prophecy. Uh, you know, so, you mm-hmm. know, one of, of, you know, the qualities of a qualified individual is, you know, that they have a highly developed imagination. And if these compounds can increase the activity of the imagination, you know, then, uh, you know, that would, you know, um, you know could theoretically doors, yeah. be, a, yeah, it would increase uh, your qualifications. You know, but the other, you know, aspect of the mind is what's called the intellect or the rational faculty. And, you know, that has to be highly developed as well. You know, so that's, you know, where, you know, the role of education, study, you know, piety, you know, moral practices, you know, come into play. And if you have a highly developed, you know, rational faculty, you know, that also… Increases your qualifications, you know, to receive prophecy. Huh. You know, but still, uh, uh, you know, the final, you know, but the final arbiter of, uh, you know, who becomes a, you know, prophet and, you know, the content of the specific, you know, prophetic message, um, um, at least, um, according to the Bible, you know, that turns on God.
1: Interesting. I I was listening to your book, thinking of uh, DMT. And how you talk about it being endogenous in our bodies and how we almost need a little bit of that for the reality that we live in right now. But if you increase that dose or, or you know, uh, turn on your genes to accept more or whatever, however you want to say it, it it's almost like uh, you can increase your level or, or meet other realms of reality. I was thinking of it almost as a reality regulator, like you, you need it
0: right there.
1: Yeah, you need it. You need it for like this reality. But if you give it more, then you enter other realities that we can't normally perceive.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense. You know, uh, if you you know think about you know DMT as you know moderating or you know modulating you know the receiving characteristics of the mind brain complex. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it, it's it's yeah, it's you know fascinating. You know that the brain expends energy to get you know DMT into its confines you know there's a very small number of you know substances you know that the brain treats that way you know things you know which are you know crucial you know for normal brain function specific amino acids that the brain can't make or you know um or um or you know blood sugar which you know which the brain isn't capable of you know making on its own you know so the brain expends energy you know to get specific compounds into it, and you know DMT is one of them. And you know normal brain function means you know normal consciousness. You know, so if you you think about that, it you know it you know could be the case that a small amount or you well or you know narrow you know window of concentrations of DMT are required for you know you know for normal you know brain function, which you know translates into normal consciousness. Yeah, and if concentrations increase, you start seeing other things. And if concentrations, you know, decrease, you stop seeing things. So,
1: like, I wonder if, uh, if people can you know, measure. You know, find I wonder if people can measure people either with psychic phenomena or people that have certain psychiatric conditions, or to see whether their levels are, you know, higher or lower than the norm
2: yeah it, it's extremely difficult uh, you know to measure levels of DMT in you know normal conditions uh, The concentrations are of the order of a billionth of a gram per milliliter you know so we still don't quite have the technology you know to be able you know to measure DMT in everyday you know kinds of you know circumstances either in dreams or you know near death states or you know psychosis those kinds of conditions uh, you know we're You know, closing on, you know, um, we're closing in on being able, you know, to measure concentrations, but we're still not quite there.
0: It seems like it's the one thing, too, that could just account for everything.
1: Yeah, so much. So much unexplained phenomena. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, what's even, you know, more interesting is that over the last couple of years, you know, they've discovered high levels of activity of the gene and the enzyme responsible for DMT synthesis in the retina as well. Uh, you know, so, you know, more generally, our consciousness, you know, could be regulated by DMT, but also our, you know, visual consciousness could be too. Hmm.
0: Did that make DMT the selfish gene? The, the selfish gene. Well, DMT
1: well,
2: it's you know the epistemological gene. You know how do we know things? You know through you know through the ages of DMT. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, what else is uh, coming up for you after this? Uh, you know you've released this book and all that. Have you got any ideas about where to take this next?
2: Well. You know, I'm spending a lot of time marketing right now, so yes, yes. that's occupying you know most of you know my spare time. Um, and you know, I've been working on this book off and on for 16 years. Wow! Uh, so I have to admit, I'm kind of tired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I am taking a break, other than doing interviews and a few speaking engagements upcoming.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: you know, but, you know, but I, it, you know, I've, uh, you know, got some other um ideas you know for writing I'm quite intrigued you know by the biblical you know character of Abraham you know so I've been starting to you know you know to learn about him um I think it would be you know lots of fun you know to kind of do a you know fictional account of his life but at the same time spend uh yeah well you know concentrate on his you know, sp- um, his, uh, um, sp- his you know spiritual uh, um, encounters, you know, with angels and and um, and with God throughout his life. Interesting. Yeah, you know, there's quite a bit you know written about Abraham. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so I, I'm you know kind of like the red tent, you know, but a little more sophisticated um, <laughs> and, and you know more psychedelic.
1: And how, how's the response been so far from the religious community and the scientific community? I, I can almost picture it being difficult on all sides here.
2: Well, uh, well you know, so far so good, you know, uh, the book's only you know, been out maybe three weeks or so uh, and it's doing quite, you know, well on Amazon, uh, Great. you know, so far. Uh, and you know, I've gotten, uh, you know, some, uh, uh, you know, some blurbs, you know, from rabbis, and I've gotten some, uh, you know, blurbs, you know, from scientists. Yeah, you know, but they're my friends. So um, I still ha- you know, I-, I'm- I-, I still am, you know, waiting, you know, for the larger, uh, uh, you know, public's response, you know, both the religious and the scientific. Right.
1: You know, right that's yeah. going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It will be interesting. So what, um,
0: when you were doing your research, did you discover any sort of, uh, Navigation techniques, techniques that can help um, help you kind of steer your path a little towards a positive experience, as opposed to a negative one.
2: Yeah, you know, um, well, so the main instructions I gave people, you know, were to relax and to and to just, you know, believe it was ultimately safe and good. Um, you know, so that helped. Yeah, um, yeah. And I was there, you know. Uh, you know, to hold their hands, you know, to give them reassurance as need be. You know, sometimes, you know, people would get kind of, you know, tangled up in the lights and they wouldn't be able to go, you know, beyond that curtain of light. And so, you know, and um as a result of, you know, knowing, you know, specific, you know, meditation techniques, I could help, you know, people kind of squeeze, through to squeeze, through the spaces in those curtains of light, you know, and attain a
1: deeper level. Yeah, and, and that's... You know, but it would depend, you know,
2: um, it just depends.
1: And that spiritual development you talked about would probably help, too, if uh, if you kind of were practicing that and you kind of knew a little bit more about what to expect, maybe.
2: Yeah, you know, if you're armed with a good, you know, uh, if if you were armed with a good you know, practice of your prayer, you know, that would help. If you got confused, you could pray. You know, people, you know, maintain their bearings in the DMT state. You know, they can negotiate, you know, they can move their consciousness around to look here or there. You know, they could be afraid. They could be calm. You know, they can modify You know, their emotions, too. You know, so I think if you learn you know some other techniques you know like for example you know prayer uh you you know obviously a short and simple one uh you um you you know might be able to steer yourself out of a you know tight place into a more spacious one
1: huh interesting Darren do, do you have any uh, questions from uh, any of our listeners
0: i got a couple i got one here what is the most most profound experience you've ever heard
2: Well, you know, um, a couple of the volunteers had the typical enlightenment experience. Uh, you know, one of our volunteers, a guy named Chris. Um, and, you know, it, it was emerging in into the white light, uh, ego-dissolving, ecstatic and blissful. You know, so that was quite profound. Um, you know, some of the experiences were scary. You know, some of them were just really weird. Um you know, one of our, you know, volunteers kind of, uh, experienced a vision of the future, uh, you know, that humanity was living in hives, unlike bees. And that was pretty strange. Um, oh. And, you know, and, yeah. And, you know, during, uh, you know, his experience, mean, um, he had a, you know, bee guide who was walking him around and, you know, pointing out things to him, you know, communicating, uh, you know, the, uh you know, the meaning of, you know, the visions to him. Well, you know, kind of like an angel, you know, if you read Zechariah, you know, is confused and he turns to the angel and he says, what is this? And, you know, the angel says, oh, don't you know what this is? And, you know, Zechariah says, no. <laughs> and, you know, the angel says, okay, I'll explain what this is. You know, so that's, you know, the kind of thing if, um, if you're armed with, um, it can be quite helpful in those states.
0: What about geometry? Do you hear much about uh, geometry, like, yeah uh, like yeah like sacred geometry sort of because I've heard some experiences where people see like crazy geometry shapes and they can't even explain them and
2: yeah well i uh, well uh, you know so one of our you know volunteers you know described seeing numbers or you know number like things uh you know being you know shaken out of a blanket you know by somebody you know, that was shaking a blanket and as a result of the blanket and being shaken. You know, these numbers or, you know, more numerical-like objects appeared. You know, some people. You know, well, you know, some people describe You know, well, you know, visions. You know, like the double helix of DNA. Others described information. You know, pouring out. You know, visually pouring out of information. You know, from this. Um, you know, point, you know, so, you know, somebody also described something like runes, you know, Scandinavian, you know, symbols, you know, so, you know, there were, you know, visual containers of information, but it was, you know, difficult to extract, you know, what specifically, you know, on that information was.
0: I like the symbolism of symbolism of the beehive though the beehive and then the information and you hear some of these uh these other people talk about how consciousness and instinct and like morphic resonance and things like that it all kind of you know that's what I think of when I hear about beehive and shit like that
1: we're just worker bees buddy i
0: think
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it- well, you know, that
2: could have been a vision of the future. Uh, you know, uh, you can have predictions in the prophetic and the psychedelic state. Uh, you know, so, uh, it you know, it you know, could have been an example of some foretelling.
1: What about healing? You hear about that uh, with people I you know, some of the ayahuasca journeys and stuff. Uh, any physical healing or any, any people that realized, uh, I thought there was a, a case where somebody realized there was something wrong with them.
2: Well, you know uh there's quite a few stories of ayahuasca healing, you know, but I screened out any volunteers with any medical problems right you know a few people came in with you know a few people came in with you know uh you know with with you know psychological conditions you know that um you know that they wanted you know to work on and experience you know some relief uh within that context. Oh, yeah, the one, you know, person, um, you know, that you, you know, may be referring to is, you know, somebody that developed, you know, melanoma in the course of our study. Yeah. That was, uh, right. And uh, yeah, 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 that was unfortunate. Yeah. And yeah, so he ended up dying actually a few years later.
1: Yeah. Wow. So Darren, do you have any other questions uh, from listeners at all? Yeah, I got one here from
0: our buddy Dave and thon uh, he asked, "What tests or experiments could be done to determine if the psychedelic experience is out of body or solely internal?"
2: Um, well, that would be pretty hard to prove one way or um or the other. I suppose you know, in the future, if we could develop you know cameras which would be able to photograph the contents of dark matter or parallel universes. You you know you could you know compare the pictures with what people describe on DMT, and uh, if the images were comparable, you know that would be of great interest. Um, but it you know could be uh, you know that a camera and a you know non living camera isn't capable of peering into those states if living consciousness is required uh, you know to perceive them, uh, you know so. Even, you know, the concept of a dark matter camera has got some limitations. Um, I think um, at this point, you know, my belief is, you know, that these visions are uh, a spectrum of combinations, you know, between our own personalities and external, uh, you know, processes or objects or, you know, forces. And, you know, um, you know, depending on our clean slate or not, it's, you know, more or less of ourselves, or more, or less, what's going on outside of us?
0: Does that does that um, does that I suppose? Does that mean more, or does that tend more towards? Like, I guess in in uh, in your trials, did you did you come? Did it did it change your opinion on the afterlife?
1: Uh,
2: not that much. You know, I was expecting a lot more frequent near-death experiences, but uh, at the most, one you know person had a typical you know near-death experience.
1: Did, did you already? Yeah. Believe, so uh, did you, already uh, you? know, that was a, afterlife.
2: Well, yeah, I did. From the Buddhist point of view, you know, right. which yeah. was kind of abstract. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, um, that after you die, on your soul is like electricity that goes from one light bulb to the other. You know, so the electricity is slightly changed. The light bulb, obviously, is a different, you know, physical object. I never quite, you know, believed in, um. you go to heaven and you, and you see your friends and family, uh, you know, that have died. Uh, you know, the Jewish view of, you know, the afterlife is, you know, fairly sophisticated. Um, And it's more, yeah, it isn't Buddhist and it isn't, you know, fairy tale kindergarten kind of material either, you know, a kind of abstract um it's hard to you know like i I would have to think about you know how to summarize the jewish view of the afterlife uh you know lots of ink has been spilled uh on (laughs) speculation you know regarding the afterlife i I mean it you know it uh, you know the quality of uh um, of the afterlife depends on how you lived your life uh you, you know they believe in hell and you know they believe in heaven um, But it isn't quite, you know, the typical, you know, you know, commonly, you know, portrayed uh, realms.
1: I often think that that's where the uh, heaven and hell comes from is people having near death experiences back then, thousands of years ago. And if you if you lived a life of sin and you see your life flash before your eyes in a near death experience and it scares the shit out of you, realize maybe I should be, you know, living the good life. And then, you know, the heaven is the uh the positive NDE experience, you know, I wonder if that was, uh, you know, not so uh, rejected in their society back then. You know, people would have these experiences and and talk about them openly.
2: Yeah, you know, that's, you know, quite commonly, uh, you know, described in uh, the Talmud, you know, which are other writings that appeared after the Bible within the Jewish, you know, tradition is, you know, the sages, you know, describing being near death. Uh, you know, going up to heaven, or you know, going down to hell, uh, and and you know, then uh, and and you know, then discussing
1: it with their students. Wow, That's interesting. So, I I have a bit of a controversial question for you. And Darren doesn't know I'm going to ask this at all. But lately, we've been hearing uh, lots of uh, lots of uh, research into the sixties and the psychedelic movement and the hippie movement and some of that, that whole movement being kind of uh, fabricated in a way like the CIA or other intelligences being involved in that. And I guess you were probably, you know, you're interested in that subject going way back. Like, have you ever, a couple of questions, have you ever been accused of being CIA or have you, what do you think about when people talk about Terrence McKenna or Leary uh, being co-opted by the intelligence community? Um, I think it's unlikely. Yeah,
2: I mean, anything's possible, right? But yeah. uh, I mean, I knew Terrence pretty well. I never knew Tim. Um, but, you know, you couldn't control Tim. You know, that was the main <laughs> thing about Tim. You know, Tim was Tim. You know, if, you know, somebody said, I'm from the CIA I'm going to give you like a million bucks if you rabble rouse, he'd say, forget it. I'm doing my own thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Terrence was the same way. Um, And, you know, I've never been approached, you know, by the CIA. uh, (laughs) I swear. So
0: did you. uh, I'm not sure where. Sorry, go ahead. I I think
2: people are smoking. I think people are smoking PCP. And they get this weird, paranoid stuff going through their minds. And, you know, then they start speculating about it and, you know, writing it on the internet. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that sounds like
2: a... Well, you know, that's my theory anyway. I'm not going to, you know, name any... Yeah, you know, that's just my... Yeah. Yeah, that's just my... Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's just, you know, it's kind of stirring controversy, you know, to distract one from the larger issues, you know? Like, what is the meaning of the psychedelic experience? Who cares? You know, who paid who and who put what where? Uh, you know, the nature of the psychedelic experience demands to be understood. And uh, you could just, you know, waste your time and get all—you can get your knickers in a twist uh, by thinking about these controversial conspiracy kinds of ideas. It's completely beside the point. It, it, it seems to me, anyway.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I've always thought that if that was the case, it kind of backfired because for, for all intents and purposes, the psychedelic experience and or meditation and or like the hippie movement has a positive impact on society. I think it's it hasn't, you know, taught us all to just sit down, be quiet, and not get involved like they say. So yeah, that's a that's a good answer. Did you? Yeah, have- you know, I think uh, you know the, you know, I was.
0: Uh,
2: well, so people believe what they want to believe. Um, and, uh, you know, you can believe that the Buddha, you know, was an agent, you know, um, <laughs> I'm of the CIA or, you know, Jesus was, uh, you know, um, you could, you know, find conspiracies under every rock. Um, you know, at, at a certain point, you, you have to decide, you know, is the world a good place or a bad place? And uh, I'm, you know, voting that it's a good place. It's, you know, it is a fine line, but I think ultimately it's good. Uh, I mean, in the story of, you know, Genesis, after God, you know, completes, uh, you know, the creation, he says, it was, it's very good. So you have to kind of, um, you know, take a stand on, you know, the goodness or, you know, the malignancy of existence.
1: What do you think, Darren, good or bad? <laughs> it's good. All good. If it takes you that long to answer, then it's not good. <laughs> so, is there anything else? That yeah, you gotta... it's all good, but
2: yeah, yeah, it's it is all good, but it's you know not all good, you know by a long shot. Uh, you know, you know, I'm like my Zen, you know, teacher used to say it's you know 51.49. <laughs> so, you have to keep at it. <laughs>
0: yeah, it might even be a decimal in there. Might not even be a full fifty-one, right?
2: But,
0: <laughs> but you gotta. I mean, if yeah. You start yeah well, you know, it's math.
2: Bad, you know, wasn't his strong suit.
0: As soon as you start looking at the cup half right. empty, then you're fucked.
1: Yeah, I agree.
2: Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the psychedelic state ought to, you know, be used for good. It could be used for bad. I, I mean, I heard stories that Adolf Hitler took, you know, mescaline in in uh, the thirties and the twenties. Uh, you know, so. And, you know, the shamans are, you know, doing kind of weird things down in the Amazon. You know, there's black magic and spiritual warfare that's, you know, extremely rampant. You know, so these are powerful, you know, drugs. They're not inherently good or inherently bad, but they're powerful. And we ought to be able to apply their power, you know, for good, you know, rather than for evil. Or, you know, even worse, just kind of, you know, you know, just kind of, you know, waste the experience.
0: Did you get uh, any reports of the same, like uh, with psilocybin? You get the extreme feelings of oneness and, and connected with everything. Did you get the same sort of feedback with DMT?
2: Well, so we only started uh, our studies giving psilocybin, and you know, the, you know that was more in you know terms of dose. You know, finding studies. You know, what was the small dose, big dose, and medium dose? Um. We probably gave half a dozen volunteers, maybe, you know, 20 doses over the space of about a year. Um, But uh, nobody, you know, really had the white light experience or the unitive, you know, mystical state. Uh, You know, uh, know, there are some studies occurring in Baltimore, Johns Hopkins, where they're giving psilocybin and inducing, you know, mystical experiences. But I I don't know. Don't think you know that is a you know function of the drug um you know per se it's an interaction of the drug you know with the expectations and the preparations uh um, you know that the volu- you know that the volunteers are going through well i think this you this know with d m t well you know uh it's interesting with d m t it's just a pure you know pharmacologic effect uh you, you you can't work up to it, you can't prepare yourself for it. It's over, you know, so quickly. And, you know, with the orally active drugs, which, you know, take some time to build and peak and fade away, um, you can just kind of negotiate and interact and, you know, modify the experience much more than is the case with
1: DMT. Ride the wave, so to say, instead of just being chucked right into the tsunami, you know.
0: Is there any way of prolonging that?
1: Yeah, you're just, you know,
2: yeah, well, uh, you know, in ayahuasca, it's you know prolonged. Uh, you know, there's the combination of the DMT and the inhibitor of the enzyme which would normally break, you know, the DMT down in the gut. Uh, you know, so uh, you know that's an orally active, prolonged, uh, you know, DMT experience. But you lose um, some and, of the pop. Don't um, you, you can infuse DMT. I'm sorry.
0: Don't you lose a little bit of the, like, you lose a little bit of the intensity of the experience with the ayahuasca as opposed to straight DMT? Uh,
2: you know, if it's you know, good ayahuasca, uh, you can reach the same level of intensity.
0: Nice. <laughs>
1: you just got to puke beforehand, that's all.
0: <laughs> you
2: often need to puke, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, and it, if you're... Uh and um and you know when it, it you know comes to pure DMT, uh you can do a continuous infusion of you know DMT uh into the vein. Uh you know, there was a you know German study came out a few years after ours and they infused you know people with a you know continuous infusion of DMT for I think either two or three hours.
0: Wow. Oh, I wonder if there's like a threshold where it's like too much, now you're stuck there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I worked hard to get you know some information about what the volunteers went through. Um, I knew the investigator, but you know, I couldn't really you know get any descriptions of you know, the volunteers' experiences. You know, wow, you know during you know that prolonged infusion. <laughs> you know, top secret, I guess.
1: Yeah, and if you can't get it, yeah, you know, hands it, on it must have been. It must have. Been
2: been a strange, you know, day for those people.
1: Yeah. I think for the most part this psychedelic awareness that's, that's happening like, here that's is like, uh, is good for good for us. I think the more people that, you know, try it and whether there's some, you know, there's some questionable things going on out there or not, I think if it if it opens up people's minds and increases their awareness, I think it's a positive thing for us.
0: That's like being on mushrooms for six months would be the equivalent. Being <laughs> on DMT for three hours be on mushrooms for six months.
1: You, you, you come back and you think like 60 years has uh, gone by. <laughs> I
2: know. Yeah. You know, it, it isn't a coincidence. I don't think, you know, that, you know, that the researcher stopped studying psychedelics after she finished that study. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so is there anything else you want to tell us, but we don't want to keep you on too long here, Rick. Uh, we really appreciate your time, but uh, is there anything else you want to mention about your book or about, uh, you know, what we're, we're going to link to your website and all that?
2: Okay, sure. Um, yeah, I suppose you know, just buy the book and you know tell your friends about it and you know write reviews on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, and you know, I-, I answer every email I get. You can contact me, th- you know, through my website, which is RickStrassman.com.
1: Right on, that's cool. Do you have anything else, Darren, before we? Uh... Are
0: you on the uh, the Twitter or the Facebook or anything like that, where our listeners can track you down?
2: Uh, not twitter i took the dive and got a facebook page about a month ago so uh you can keep an eye on my activities on facebook
0: now too right on that's how it starts
1: (laughs) yeah twitter will be soon to follow i'm not on the twitter either darren's guy. oh god
0: (laughs) yeah crazy place there's no rules on twitter (laughs) well we'd like to like to thank you for your time uh thank you for your time Rick you're welcome back uh, anytime good luck with the book
2: okay well thanks for having me on your show it was fun
1: yeah yeah that was great really appreciate it And welcome back to the Grand America Show. That was our chat with Rick Strassman. And
0: hey, welcome back to the Grand Show. That was with Rick Strassman. <laughs>
1: that, was,
0: that was a good
1: Yeah, what'd you think? Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Yeah.
0: It was good. It felt like it took him a little bit to open up to our style, but uh, once he did, he hit the ground running.
1: Yeah, it's um sometimes I have a hard time seeing the similarities between the Hebrew Bible and DMT experiences, but it's uh
0: Especially Definitely. when we've never done DMT.
1: Yeah, you haven't yet either, eh? No.
0: Hmm. I will do some on the show. No, I won't. <laughs> maybe maybe you should. No, not done the first time.
1: Not the first time?
0: Not the first time.
1: Hmm. hmm. I think that, you know what they should do next? What I'm thinking of is a healing trial with DMT. Like, have a bunch of people that are... um. That have physical conditions like that are measurable, and uh, and do DMT trials and see what they can do for uh, healing themselves. Because you hear those shamanic journeys about people healing their physical, you know, uh, disabilities and stuff, right?
0: Yeah, I wonder if it's tougher though. Where DMT, you can't really have like in an ayahuasca thing. You're kind of you can kind of be led into it and kind of coach through it, and
1: by the shaman.
0: Yeah, and DMT is more like. Right. World. Yeah. Shaman's not there. Nobody's there.
1: And it's harder to measure the, the, the ayahuasca as far as like dosage and all that. They just slop it all in a jar and you might get like twice a dose one day than the next, maybe. Or
0: yeah, well, I just think or do, they,
1: do you think they're pretty accurate?
0: I don't think it matters as much. I don't think that's the problem so much as I think DMT is you're in a state that you're not
1: in control. It comes
0: on too quick to be
1: healing yourself.
0: To heal yourself. And when you're there, you're too fucking blown away to be worried about it. Or maybe I could be wrong. I've never done it. I'll tell you after I try.
1: All right. Let's do
0: Which, that. I don't know. When that'll be? When that'll be, but it's on the bucket list.
1: It's on the Great America bucket list. Your turn. <laughs> My turn for what? Well,
0: I did the psilocybin.
1: Oh, yeah, no, I've, uh, yeah, I've...
0: Maybe we could outsource that one.
1: You know, I'm... <clears throat> Drug and alcohol free for at least six and a half years now, so I don't want to experiment with anything like that.
0: What about ayahuasca?
1: No, we'll do it. The drug? Maybe one day, but I don't know. No, I don't think. Right now, I just I don't want to fuck around with anything.
0: Want to fate? I don't want to tempt say. fate. Yeah. You know, I'm swinging from crystal <laughs> chandeliers.
1: <and laughs> Graham's been gone two weeks. What happened to him?
0: It's so, so
1: good when it hits your lips. <laughs> We're streaking. Yeah. Though, you know, even Graham Hancock says he quit smoking pot or whatever, right, from ayahuasca. And then he talks about how many times he's done ayahuasca. He's like done like DMT like 87 times or something. I'm like, hmm, sure you haven't replaced your addiction there at all? <laughs> no, I'm sure it's not as addictive, but um, still, I don't want to fuck around with it.
0: Yeah, well, I think he smoked pot again too. So.
1: Yeah, that's true. So with
0: with on the on the JRE,
1: I guess Mother Ayahuasca said is she's okay to it's okay to go do it every now and then. Okay, man. <laughs> Anyways, that's this is this fascinating stuff, and this is going to be uh, <clears throat> increasing in the future. Openness and all this this consciousness studies from psychedelics.
0: Yeah, it seems to be right. I wonder where we'll be in five or ten years. It'll just be, uh, you know, I'd like to see we'll be back to probably only kind of back to where we were forty or fifty years ago.
1: No, we'll be farther than that. I think. I think we'll jump farther ahead with the science, with the with their with our uh, medical capabilities and our measuring equipment and all that kind of stuff. We'll be further ahead
0: think so? Yeah, Do You totally. think it'll even be opened up to that extent again? Like maybe individual fields will be yeah farther yeah. ahead, but I don't think it'll be like...
1: Open in our culture like Open
0: in our culture like it was then. Like I think it's going to take a while to get that back.
1: Yeah. We should have Brad Burgeon again and talk to uh, talk to him about what the latest Yeah, is this
0: would have been the fucking perfect yeah, episode, Would but I dropped yeah. the ball. I, I was emailing with them. We had him lined up for the beginning of November. Here we are recording <laughs> this on November 5th. And I dropped the ball. So maybe we'll have next week or the week after.
1: Yeah, it doesn't have to be. I mean, we're, we're, we're touching this subject so often. It doesn't have to be on this exact episode. So,
0: All right, guys. Thanks for listening. As usual, you'll find uh, links to everything we talked about in the show notes, as well as all the music you heard. Uh, as always, check out the Money Bomb, value for value, grandamerica.ca slash moneybomb. Uh, Check out the newsletter to keep up to date on who's coming up next, all that fun stuff, grandamerica.ca slash news. Justin's doing a great job there. Uh, Review the show where you can. grandamerica.ca slash iTunes will bring you right there, or uh, wherever you're listening, Stitcher, wherever it may be. Uh, Take five minutes and uh, throw up a review. That's as good as a donation, really.
1: Yeah, leave a voicemail message on the homepage of grandamerica.ca and spamgram g-r-a-h-a-m at grammerica.com. don't spam there it's spamgram